All right. Well, pleasure and having fun isn't all that it's kind of cracked up to be. It isn't. It always seems like the people who have the most opportunities for pleasure and for fun in their lives are not actually the most happiest people in the world. It's a weird thing, but that's how it is. Check out this part of an article from Time magazine after Owen Wilson attempted to commit suicide. Yeah, that is a while ago. It's quite a while ago. But from a magazine just after Owen Wilson attempted but didn't commit suicide. The hospitalisation this week of Owen Wilson, 38, after police responded to a report of a suicide attempt at his home, astonished... Quiet down, guys. Owen Wilson is okay, all right? Astonished anyone who knows him simply as the, as the affable, blonde man-child from Wedding Crashes and You, Me and Dupree. To outsiders looking in, Wilson's partying, partying seemed to be of the happy, go-lucky, nobody-gets-hurt variety, while other stars got DUI, driving on the influences, like arrests and stuff, Wilson always appeared to have a ride home with one of his cool actor brothers like Luke or Andrew, and if not one of them, some beautiful, pretty, rich and young, famous person just like him, people like Kate Hudson. When he wasn't busy filming blockbuster blockbuster comedies that kind of showed this happy-go-lucky kind of guy, he was writing really clever movie scripts with his friend Wes Anderson, movie scripts like Rushmore and the Royal Tenenbaums. Wilson's life, as documented by the magazines, consisted of tossing a football on the beach, riding his scooter alongside his dog Garcia, and dating whatever impossibly beautiful woman he wanted. That guy tried to kill himself. What's with that? So you'd think that Owen Wilson would literally be the happiest guy in the world. He certainly seems like the happiest guy in the world. But over time, if people just live their lives for pleasure and the fun that can be had, almost always they end up the opposite of happy. And we do this in our own lives. If you've been around long enough, you'd realise this. In our lives, we try and build them on pleasure and the next fun thing that's going to happen, the next party, the next whatever thing you find fun, uh, the next good time, the next holiday, the next whatever, and we chase all these fun, pleasurable things in our lives, but when we get there, we go, that was pretty good, where's the next thing? Oh, that was pretty good, where's the next thing? And and eventually, (laughs) we end up pretty disappointed with it all because it never actually really does it for us, never makes us completely happy. Now, why is that? Why does that always happen? I think at least one of the reasons is that people turn pleasure into an idol. And when we try and make it our God, it does a bad job of it. It doesn't make us happy. Pleasure, having lots of fun, that's not wrong. It's not wrong. God invented laughter. He invented fun times. He invented games at fat. He invented the friends you have here. It's not wrong, but like anything that's good... When we make it ultimate, we make it our God, and so it becomes an idol. The last thing, the last idol we're looking at tonight is the idol of pleasure. And the person we're going to see this pretty clearly in is a guy called King Solomon. And that's what that passage from Ecclesiastes was about. King Solomon, here's the first point of tonight. 
King Solomon pursued the idol of pleasure. He was a great king, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, depending on who you like, David or him, back in the Old Testament. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes, David, sorry, man, Solomon decides to find out what the meaning of life is. And so he does all these tests with his life and he gives himself wholeheartedly to all these different things. And one of the things that he gives himself to is he pursues pleasure like an absolute boss, right? He just goes for it, okay? He absolutely goes for pleasure. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to be seeing a man who lives his life for pleasure. So open it up, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 and 2 set the scene. He thinks in his heart, I thought in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure and find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? So he's saying, come, I'm going to give this thing a test. I'm going to give pleasure a go and see what it does for me. Will it give my life meaning? And he kind of gives away the result at the very start there. But look at verse 3. He starts with alcohol. He starts with wine. Verse 3. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, doing silly things when you're drunk, presumably. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So here's the situation. Imagine, people going, ooh, imagine... Imagine having all the alcohol you could ever want. You're 18, it's legal for you to drink. You got all the alcohol you could ever want. You're rich and no one's telling you what to do. Imagine just like free drinks for the rest of your life. Just go nuts. I reckon, now, I reckon there's lots of problems with that. But most people in the world would say that that would be pretty fun. Free drinks on tap. for the, Not free, but you just got so much money, they may as well be free. As much as you want for the rest of your life. People would say that was pretty good, and Solomon gave it a go. But that's not all he does. He also does some pretty constructive things for, for a bit of pleasure as well. He builds hectic projects and makes awesome things. Look at verses 4 to 6. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. He's got whole vineyards. Um, I made gardens and parks. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Like there's so much stuff. He's, he's king, right, of this awesome nation. He just walks around creating awesomeness with the resources that he has. You know that small sense of satisfaction you get when you make like a good sandcastle? Who's built a sandcastle before? You're making one when you're little and you're like, uh, uh, it just looks the same every time. But then if you get old and you make another one, it's actually pretty sick, right? That small sense of satisfaction of kind of creating something and being creative and building something awesome. Imagine doing that with like whole palaces, whole houses, whole gardens, almost like cities and townships kind of thing, planning them and saying, I want that to look like this and we're going to build it. That would be awesome fun. It's like ultimate sandcastle building. Yeah, like that's pretty good. Imagine doing it for real. I want my castle to look like this. Yeah, sick. Let's go again. That would be heaps good. And man, it gets better. Check out verses 7 to 9. Check it out. I brought male and female slaves and I had other slaves who were born in my house. Um, I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and promises, uh, provinces. I acquired men and women singers 
and a harem, as well as the, sorry, a harem, the delights of the heart of men. There's a whole bunch of things there. I'll tell you what that looks like for him, all right? First of all, I'll tell you about how Michael Jackson used to go shopping before he died. When Michael Jackson went shopping, he would literally pay a shopping centre to close for the day and then he'd walk around with some people with like notepads and stuff, I presume, they're writing it down, and he'd walk through going, I like that hat, I'll have it. TV, that's cool, get rid of my old one, give me that one. Those boots, love it. Oh, new iPad, yeah, I'll grab one of those. He just walks through the shopping centres pointing at stuff, right? And people would write down what he wanted and the shopping centres were empty. And at the end of the day, they would take the stuff that he'd pointed out and deliver it to his mansion for him. That's how Michael Jackson went shopping. That's King Solomon. This dude is more rich than you could ever imagine. He spent money on whatever he wanted. But it wasn't just money. Man, he had musicians and singers whose job it was to perform for him. We get excited when we go to a show with a crowd of people to see some band that we love. Imagine owning the band, right? This is... This is this is for you, um, Amy Robson. Like, imagine being literally like, um, One Direction, sing for me. And One Direction have got to like sing you a song and you're like, Ew! Or if you're not a, like a year eight girl, imagine being like, Got yeah, sing for me. And, like, and you're like, Go on, play that somebody I used to know song. Yeah, I like that one. Do the weird bits as well. Do me one of those weird robot songs. Like just making him do whatever you want because you own the musician. That would be amazing. Imagine how cool that would be. And not only that, and... Ladies, reverse this in your head if you want, but this guy, he had women, all right? He had women. Uh, Maddie was stumbling over a word there, it was concubines. Concubines, he had a harem of concubines, right? That's basic, yeah. I didn't know how to draw, I didn't want to stick a picture up of what this looks like, so that's it, all right? He had women, okay? And so he had this whole crew of women whose job it was to make him happy. If you read in 1 Kings... He probably had close to a thousand women, including his concubines and his wives, whose job it was to make him happy. Well, look at these stick figures he had. That's amazing. Basically, this guy was like the ultimate pleasure seeker. He had alcohol, he had women, he had money, he made whatever buildings he wanted to make, he had musicians, he had it all. And it's not like he just had it and went, that's pretty good. Nah, he threw himself at it like a maniac. Check out verse 10. This summarizes how he lived his life for a while there. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work and that was the reward for all my labor. He didn't stop at anything. He took whatever he wanted. He saw it, he liked it, he had it. And guys, just so I'm clear, the moral of the story isn't that he did that, but it wasn't fun. Notice it said that his heart took delight in all of his work. He enjoyed it. He had fun. It was good. Delighted him. But that was all. Check out verse 11. Because after he did all this and it delighted him and it was fun, look at his conclusion. Verse 11. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I'd toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now, under the sun is just a fancy way of saying here on earth, here in this life, under that sun that's above us. Nothing was gained on this earth. In the end, it was completely meaningless. There was no point to it because it's all just on this earth and 
basically, you're going to die, and then what's the point? There's no point to it. It's like chasing after the wind, which is just for crazy people. Chasing after the wind is literally for crazy people. Don't chase the wind. You're not going to catch it, all right? And he's saying it's as pointless as that. Because there's at least, at least three big problems with serving the idol of pleasure instead of serving the real God. There's at least three problems. I'll give them to you. First one isn't from this passage, but we're going to touch on it in just a, touch on it in just a second. God is angry when we serve any other God. Let's do that a few times this week. We're going to touch on that in a minute. Number two, though, in the end, pleasure is actually, just by itself, completely meaningless. Once it's over, it's gone, that's it. It's just a temporary feeling. You always think it's going to be good, but when you get it, you go, sweet, that was sick, that was good. And then all you've got to do is look forward to the next time when you can have pleasure. And so it can be gone again. It's meaningless. And it won't mean anything when you're dead. Number three, what happens when the pleasure in this life actually runs out? See, this is a pretty cool picture of some guy's crazy life, but we're not all King Solomon. (laughs) You guys know this. You don't live like that. You guys have real lives where life is hard. And it isn't full of pleasure all the time. And even for King Solomon, with all that he had to kind of use to make his life fun, his life turned bad too. Things didn't end perfectly for him and the fun stopped for him at points as well. And so if we live our lives for now and for pleasure now, what about when bad stuff starts to happen? What about when it starts to fall apart? There's three big problems with the idol of pleasure. I hope you guys feel it, because that's real, that's the truth. (laughs) If that's true, that means some big things for how you're going to interact with this idol of pleasure. See, it's like pleasure, the idol of pleasure, living your life for it, is like living your life in a theme park. Theme parks are fun. Who thinks theme parks are fun? Yeah, they're good, right? But you don't want to live in one. If you lived in a theme park, here's what it would be like. You'd be like, I love theme parks. This roller coaster is going to be amazing. First day in. And you're like, woohoo! And you're riding a roller coaster. And you get off and you go, that was great. That was heaps fun. Next ride. Woo! That was heaps good. That was heaps fun. That was pretty good. I can't wait to go on another ride. Woo! And then you start to get the pattern and you go, cool. I can keep on going on rides once it's over. I rode a roller coaster. That's not significant or meaningful. It was fun back then. Woo! And you just keep on doing that. But eventually, it's going to get boring. And pretty soon, you've got nothing except the hope for another fun ride. When, when it's over, it's, it's, it doesn't mean anything. It's just meaningless. Living life like it's a theme park is meaningless. There's no end point. It doesn't mean anything. And after a while, even the thing that you love about it, the rides, are all going to start to look pretty similar and it's going to be pretty boring as well. Now, we're going to pull apart this idea and work out what the solution to this idol is in a little bit. But what I want to do is ground this for you because you're not King Solomon and so what I want us to do is think about some possible idols of pleasure in your life. Where are the places where you go to for pleasure where perhaps it's actually your God? We've elevated it to the wrong place. Now, 
This could be in two categories. You could be seeking pleasure as an idol in sin, right? So you could be chasing it in, I don't know, something like we talked about the other day, sex outside of marriage or something to do that, pornography, uh, drinking when you're not 18, drunkenness, all sorts of things which we know are just straight up wrong. (laughs) And if that's you, God's challenge to you this week, as always, is stop. (laughs) Stop chasing sin for pleasure and fulfillment. Stop it. Repent. Put in place things that will change you, change you. Realize tonight how stupid it is to to swap anything for God, including even our sin that we so much love. Because the moment it's over, did it really make you happy? (laughs) No, it doesn't. I don't know how we keep on falling for it. We're like lab rats, you know, like, you know, like, can I get zapped or something's wrong in our heads where we don't see how unsatisfying sin is. It's like McDonald's, you know, in McDonald's, I don't know, half the boys in the room have probably done this, where they're like, I think me and my friend will eat a family dinner box. That is a good idea. Imagine how good it would be to eat two packets of chips and have two Cokes and eat half a family dinner box. But you do it and, man, you just, you just feel like a fool afterwards. You weren't, you're not satisfied. you just got a sore belly and you've got a guilty conscience for eating half a dinner box, right? That's sin. Sin's eating a family dinner. It's not that. It's not a definition of sin. But, um, yeah, that's, that's what it's like. We think it's going to be good, but it's not. So there's, there's sin, right? Seeking pleasure in sin when it's an idol. But what about things that are not sin? What about things that are actually good things in your lives that you turn into God things? I'll give you three examples. Is gaming an idol for you? I like Xbox, it's fun, I have a great time playing, it's really good, but do you live, do I, do you, live your life for gaming? So here's some ways where you can actually start to tell whether this is just a good thing or it's a thing that you've turned into God. We worship with our resources, right? So we worship God with our time, with our energy, with our thoughts, with our mouths, with our money. There's a whole bunch of resources that we have to worship God with. How much time... Do you pour into gaming? How much? Because for some of us, man, it's a lot. I hear people say, I don't have time to read my Bible. I'm just so busy. I don't have any spare time. And then like I see on Facebook, they've posted like, I just defeated the Orc of Zorok on Skyrim or whatever. And I'm like, that would have taken you some time. (laughs) Why don't you use some of that time? Seriously, if you spend hours and hours and hours and hours on this stuff, And if not gaming, what about Facebook or just mucking around on the internet or DVDs or whatever it is? If you have something in your life that you just pour every inch of your time into, every spare minute you have, well, who do you worship? God or the thing that you throw all your time at? Now, there's no hard and fast rule here. You can't just go, this is a thing you need to check your own heart on. But if this is you, I suggest that you either cut back on what you're doing so you're confident it's not an idol or actually stop doing it altogether, at least for a little while so that you can be sure that this is not an idol. Is gaming an idol for you? Or is it sport? Now, the thing with sport is, I reckon it it could happen that you'll see this because you pour all your time into sport. It could look like that. But I think the really tricky thing with sport is that Often it's a thing that's immovable. So if you're a gamer kid, you can just kind of do that whenever you want around your Christian commitments, but you spend flipping 10 hours in a day doing it. But with sport, 
What happens when your sport life clashes with your Christian commitments? What happens? Could be surfing or footy or swimming or athletics or could be anything, right? But what happens when there's there's commitments that clash? Are you willing to sacrifice your sporting commitments for the sake of your Christian commitments? Or is it always the other way around? Now, it's not wrong to miss youth group or to miss church for some kind of a sporting commitment. To do that from time to time is not just by definition sin. That's not the case. But what's the pattern in your life here? Which one always seems to win? I talk to heaps of youth, right? People who perhaps have become a Christian or they've been a Christian for a while. And I say, you should come to youth group. You've got to get along and, and hang out with some other Christians and sit under the word. And they say, I really want to, but I have to do this swimming on a Friday night. And I go, you have to do it, do you? And they go, yeah. And I go, who's forcing you to swim? Is there like some guy with a rifle sitting there going, get swimming or I'm going to shoot you? No, you do your sporting commitments because you choose to. If next season you sign up to do netball on a Sunday morning when your G team is on, you choose to do that. There might be people maybe pressuring you in your lives, but they're not going to tell you off if you choose to do the opposite. So, think into your sporting stuff. Sport's good. Sport's great. It's an awesome way to hang out with other non-Christians. It's a, it's a really good thing to do. It's healthy for you to do. It's great. Just don't let sport be God. Check yourself on that one as well. Lastly, is your idol friends? Could be that your idol is friends. I reckon the success of Facebook shows us that we do have a tendency to make idols out of our friendships. It's possible. I reckon even the success of fat this week means it's possible that you could take a great thing like fat and turn it into idol depending on what it is that you really, really love about fat. It's possible that we can turn our friendships into idols. See, here's some ways you can think about this. Are you ever happy when your friends are not around? Can you cope without being without your friends? Because it could be that you're, they're everything to you. They're just your whole thing. How do you cope if friendships aren't going well for you? Does that just completely destroy your life beyond repair because you just can't cope when your friendships are not going well? Would you be willing to sin or do stupid things to impress your friends even though you know it will not impress God? If you worked out that there was friendships that you had that you needed to pull away from because they were wrecking your relationship with God by the way they were influencing you, would you be willing to pull away from them, at least for a time, to do that? If you're not willing, then maybe this is your idol. Now, I reckon you guys are going to have questions. You're going to be hearing this stuff and you're going, I like games or I like friends. Is this me? And I reckon if you're not sure, all I want to do is poke your conscience but I can't tell you it is this or it isn't this. I reckon talk to a leader, talk it through and help get some help working out whether this is an idol for you. All these things are great things. They're good things from God, but when we treat them as God, that's an idol. And Solomon shows us that living for these pleasures, however good they are, is meaningless. In the bigger picture, think about how stupid it is to trade the eternal God for something that isn't God. 
We've been talking this week about how the, the fact that in Hebrews that Jesus is the best. He really is God. He really is ultimate. Don't trade Jesus for anything, even good things. So there's the idol of pleasure. Now before we talked about three reasons why following this idol is a really bad idea. I'll recap them really quickly. Number one, it makes God angry. That's the most serious one. Idolatry makes God angry. Number two, it's completely meaningless to chase the idol of pleasure. As soon as it ends, it's over. It's gone. Number three, what happens when the pleasure stops? When life goes bad? You got nothing. There's at least three reasons why this is a bad thing to, to, to build your life around. But you know what? The good thing is that Solomon works out the answer to this, the meaninglessness of, 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 of pursuing pleasure or anything else as God. He works it out by the end of the book. So come over to chapter uh, 12 with me and check it out. And I reckon you may be surprised by the answer here that he puts forward. He kind of works out what he kind of says is the best thing we've got to work with for life. The answer, chapter 12, the answer to the meaninglessness of pleasure is God's judgment. It's pretty weird. Check it out. Verse 13. Solomon, he's he's tried everything and here's what he works out. Verse 13, now all has been heard and here is the conclusion of the matter. Here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Now what he's saying is fear God, respect God, follow him because that's every single person in the world's job to treat God right. That's your job. Every single person, whether you're a Christian or not, you may not even know it. That's your job. Here's why it's your job. Look at verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. God's going to judge everyone. Every single action we've ever done, every single thing on that DVD or video that Hazy and Rhett were talking about, He's going to judge us. And as you head into the New Testament, we know that we're talking here about eternal life or eternal death, hell or heaven. And the only difference is whether your trust is in Jesus. And so here's why life is not meaningless. Man, our actions matter in light of eternity. Our actions matter in light of judgment. And so this rescues us from the meaninglessness of a life built around pleasure. And when you understand that, there's your rescue. That reality frees us, rescues us from the meaninglessness of pleasure. And guys, let me show you this even more clearly, what this looks like for us as Christians in the New Testament with Jesus in the picture. Come over to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is awesome stuff. I pray that you guys get this stuff. This is so good. Come to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read it again. Verse 3. Some fantastic words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great 
mercy. He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And so first of all, notice verse 3. Jesus rescues us from God's judgment. God shows us mercy through Jesus' death and his resurrection from the dead. So we're given a new birth, a new life. God's dealt with his anger at our sin and we're given this new life. It's a similar kind of thing to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 in the first talk where, um, where God re- Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath. As Christians, we're saved from God's anger at our idolatry, we're saved from hell, but it's not, it doesn't just stop there. It's not like God's like, all right, that's it, fine, I won't send you to hell. Get out, get out of here, you little scamp. You're lucky. It's not like he's still angry at us, no. Secondly, Jesus gives us an eternal hope that actually has meaning. We're giving a living, we're given a living hope in verse 3. Check out what we're given in verse 5. If you're a Christian, verse 5, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade because it's kept in heaven for you. And so after being rescued from the idol of pleasure, this is what you replace that idol with. An eternal, untouchable, bulletproof hope that's kept in heaven for you where nothing can get at it. Our inheritance, life forever with God. And so here's what it means. Stop living life for now. Pleasure, now. Sin, now. Everything, now. Because now's not the main event. It only lasts for a little while. Now is the time for you to be saved and for you to see as many people around you as you possibly can saved. The real joy, the real pleasure, the time for that ultimately is in heaven. And so don't live your life for pleasure now. Replace it with a mindset that looks forward to heaven and lives in light of that eternal reality. It's good stuff. And finally, guys, notice in verse 6, remember I said one of the problems with following the idol of pleasure is that what happens when, when bad stuff happens? What happens when the pleasure runs out? It's a pretty big problem. Look how good this is in contrast. Our eternal hope means it doesn't matter if the pleasure stops. Look at verse 6. doesn't matter if the pleasure stops. Lost one, Peter. <laughs> Spewing. Awkward. Okay, doesn't matter if the pleasure stops. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. In this hope you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all 
kinds of trials. So don't be surprised when you suffer, you probably will. It's normal Christian life. But because we know that heaven is coming, that's okay. It's okay when we suffer because we can rejoice in what's coming in the future. I remember um, in high school, for me, if uh, there were times when I, just, I was just over high school. It's not like I was, I don't know, some struggling kid or anything. I just didn't like high school that much. I was kind of just frustrated by the end. And I started to really hate it. I kind of hated schoolwork. I hated homework. I didn't really like it that much. I don't know, I I should have invested more in my friendships there and so it wasn't that fun by the end as well. And I remember, you know, there was these times where I'd just be hating it but when I was like right close to the six-week summer holidays, no matter how bad school was, I was like, doesn't matter, even like a bird just pooped in my eye, right? But doesn't matter, in three days I'm on holidays for six whole weeks so it's okay no matter how bad today is, as long as I get to that six weeks, doesn't matter. That was a little bit of my mindset sometimes. Now, heaven, our hope for heaven is so much better than that, but it's a little bit like that, just with very different time frames. Right? You're not going to go to heaven in one week, hopefully, because you've got some stuff to do here. But when you do, it will last for eternity. That fact, man, makes this hope bulletproof. Nothing in life can touch it. No matter how many birds poop in your eye, nothing can touch it. Like pain, diseases, sickness, depression, parents who get divorced, loneliness, breaking up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, the death of someone you love. All those things suck. They hurt, man. They're bad. But if you're a Christian, the worst that the world can throw at us still can't touch what's kept in heaven for you. Can't get at it because it's in heaven. And guys, if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, either way, everything else in your entire life, I hate to tell you guys, is actually vulnerable. It's vulnerable. Friends can leave you. Boyfriends and girlfriends can leave you. Sport will end if you get injured. Partying gets boring and it's not appropriate for some 50-year-old to be like still partying, you know. (laughs) Everything ends, everything's vulnerable, but nothing can touch what's in heaven for you. So guys, if if you're trusting in Jesus, do you see how good it is? It is just awesome. Jesus's death, deals with God's anger at our idolatry. And eternity means that our lives aren't meaningless if you're in Jesus. And it means that right now, if things go bad or when they go bad, in the end it doesn't matter because you have an eternal hope stored in heaven. That's good. Praise God for that. Now, I want to finish this week now by kind of helping us think about the week as a whole and trying to help all of us think about where it is we may be with God. So this week, we've seen that there is one true God and He alone should be treated as God. He alone should be worshipped. We've seen the idol of love and sex, the idol of uh, greed and the idol of pleasure. Right now, as we finish up this week in this series, there's a few places you could be. Now, I may not nail it for you. It may be something else, and if you don't see yourself in any of these options, talk to a leader about it. 
right, and say, I don't know where I'm at, I don't know what I am, and talk to a leader. But I reckon most of you are going to be in one of these three places. First of all, there are Christians here tonight who struggle with idols. They're Christians and, and they've got battles and they've got sin in their life that they're trying to deal with, but God is firmly at the center of their lives. And for you guys, I want to say, man, keep on trusting Jesus. That is so good. I've met so many of you this week who I'm convinced it's the case that God is at the center of your life. You've got your struggles, but God is still at the center and you're a Christian. And so guys, realize the danger of idolatry, but keep on fighting and keep on trusting Jesus. That's so good if that's you, right? Take heart and don't feel guilty about going, yeah, I think that is me. Own it, love it, that's awesome. Secondly, though, it could be that you're a Christian or you at least would have thought you're a Christian before you came on camp, and you, maybe you are. But this week you've realized that although you want to say you trust Jesus and you know you need forgiveness from Jesus, this week has actually really poked some holes in your life and you've realized that God isn't at the center of your life. Maybe there's a whole stack of idols that you've put there instead of God. Maybe there's just one thing, I don't know. But those idols need to be ripped out of the place of being in the center. They need to be dealt with and you need to put the living God in that place instead. That's what you've got to do. And so if that's you, decide tonight that Jesus is the only God you will worship. You're going to have struggles, but decide that this will always be the case, that you will always be able to say Jesus is at the center and you're going to do everything you can to keep on making sure that's the case. Worship the one true God, not anything else. Decide to make a change tonight so that if I asked this question in a year's time, you'd say, yeah, I'm that first one. God is at the centre. Or thirdly, it could be that you've realised this week that you're not a Christian. You may have understood sin properly as we've talked about idolatry and you may have understood the fact that you need to be rescued from it and not just be better at earning your way to heaven. Right? Maybe you've worked out that you would have even called yourself a Christian perhaps or maybe you just knew you weren't but you definitely now realize that really you've been worshiping anything but God and you're not a Christian. Tonight, over there. Tonight, be rescued by Jesus. Become a Christian tonight. Have Jesus deal with God's anger at your sin and trust him to rescue you and then follow him as your God. Become a Christian tonight if that's you. That's the third category, all right? I reckon you can read those, all right? So number one, you're a Christian, God's at the centre. Number two, you would have said you're a Christian, but you're not sure that God was at the centre of your life. Or number three, you knew you weren't a Christian, but you know you need to become one tonight. Okay? Now, I want to pray for everyone in this room, including myself right now. But I want you guys to have a think about where you're at, first of all, before we pray. And so use that box, the main point of this sermon is, have a think and just go, I think I'm number one, two, or three. Maybe write that in that box and also maybe write what it is that you think makes you that person. So as in, I think I'm two because of this thing I've worked out about whatever, all right? So have a think. Where are you at? Stick a label on yourself if you want to in that box. You don't have to, but have a think. All right, 
Now what I want to do is I want to pray. I want to pray with, with you guys. But as I do that, I want to do things a little bit differently, just because we can, all right? Not for any weird reasons, but I want to encourage you to own where you think you're at tonight and, 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 and make a statement about what you want to do. And so what I want to do is I want to pray, and I'll get us all to close our eyes, but if you think you're either number two or number three, that is you think that God hasn't been at the centre of your life and you want him to now be at the centre of your life, or you think you're not even a Christian you want to come, become one tonight, we're going to close our eyes and we'll pray, but stand up where you are. Stand up. Everyone else, close your eyes and don't peek at everyone. Just You, you do your own business, but let people stand up if they want to own that as that been where they're at tonight and I'll pray. Now if you want to become a Christian, pray with me, pray this along in your head and uh, and we'll pray together with the rest of it. So um, bow your heads and guys stand up if you think you're a two or a three. You don't have to but man it'll be a great thing to do. Dear God, there are people among us tonight who uh, know that we're not Christians, we know that Jesus isn't our saviour and he isn't our Lord but Lord, we pray for those people tonight that, Lord, Lord, we want to thank you that Jesus died on the cross, that he rescues us from our idols. We want to pray that Jesus would be our rescue uh, tonight and for the rest of our lives. We pray that we'd be people who trust in Jesus. And, Lord, uh, we also want to pray particularly for those of us who uh, perhaps would call ourselves Christians Uh, But, Lord, no, they haven't been living with you as God in the centre of their lives. I pray that you would help us to deal with those idols, whatever they are. Help us to to own our sin. And I pray that you would change us through your word and, and, and by your spirit as it works in us. I pray that we'd change and grow. And I pray that it would be clear that Jesus is at the centre of our lives. God, thank you so much for the Christians tonight who are sure of the place that you have in their lives. We want to praise you for the work you've already done in them. Thank you so much, Jesus, for what you're doing in all of our lives. And we pray that uh, tonight will be a night that we'd remember and own in in the rest of the coming year. Amen. Well, um, I reckon if you would have called yourself a, a two or a three, that this is a weird stuff to talk about, but if you, if you thought of yourself as a two or a three, that is you just became a Christian, which is awesome if you just became a Christian, or if you've just decided that God really does need to be at the centre of your life, but you're not sure what you were before that, that's cool. I reckon it would be a really, really good idea to talk to your leader about the decision that you made tonight, because you, you definitely do it, because seriously, um, this is the kind of stuff you're going to need people's help with, you're going to need to... Make sure you, you stick out this stuff. And, and so get the help of a leader. Talk to them about it and tell them and celebrate with them because it's awesome news. Love you guys. It's been a good week.